Hey there, thanks for joining me. I'm Jenny Cressman, and this is a little chat show called Everything Bagels. This show isn't about bagels, of course. It's about anything and everything. It's just me having conversations with interesting people who are doing interesting things. One day, maybe I will interview someone who makes bagels. Who knows? Maybe I'll interview Jesse Cook about the show's theme music, Bogota by Bus. Maybe this time I'll win the lottery and be able to... Uh, well, maybe I'll just get started with the show now. This time, the interesting person I have in the studio with me is Lynn Golding. Hello, Lynn. Hello, Jenny. Well, thank you for coming in, Lynn. Some people will recognize your name, I think, for several reasons. So let's start with full disclosure. Your husband is Tony Clement, and he also has a show on the Bay, which is how we met. It's true. Because of a volunteer party that was hosted at your home, and there we go. And I actually was very surprised and pleased to win an award there, the Kareen Burns Best Talk Show Award. So now I have standards to live up to. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) But that's enough about me. Back to you. Other forms of disclosure. Let's start with... Your background. You're a graduate of history and political science from the University of Toronto and law from Queen's University and still currently a senior partner at the law firm Faskin, formerly what? Faskin? We had many names, but um, (laughs) Faskin is the one we go by now. That's easier than, yeah, with all the other ones. <laughs> but that was a, quite a, a renowned law firm founded in 1863 with offices internationally, mostly Canada, but I, elsewhere. Yeah, I think we are uh, at this moment the largest law firm in Canada. Wow. Well, it depends on the week. Who's coming and going? But yeah, we're, we're first, second, or third, depending well, on the week. Well, in offices in various other countries, mm-hmm. Be- Beijing and is it, London, is that Ontario or UK? Uh, London, UK, uh-huh. South Africa. Um, I think those are our only two foreign, you know, fully staffed offices at this time. But um, the firm has a big mining practice, so it's important to be in those places. Okay. And your practice in particular is regarding health law, and you lead the the group yes. regarding that. So yes. tell me a little bit about what in, is involved with that. Well, I always say uh, we provide advice to those who um, provide health care, who mm-hmm. regulate health care, and who fund health care. And you can imagine that since COVID, things have been extremely busy for us. Oh, I imagine. So, yeah. um, you know, there was, there was a time when I could manage to do some writing and also the practice of law, even when I wasn't on holiday. But these days, it's, uh, it's pretty busy, even these, uh, even these couple of years now post uh, being in the depths of the COVID um, yeah. crisis. Yeah. So you would use some of your writing skills with that. But you're, you're, the main reason you're here today is because of being an author. And so l- let's just spend most of our time talking about that. First of all, you're from Brampton and people have described your historic novel series as a love letter to Brampton. Would, would you say that's the case? You know, it really kind of makes my heart warm because I do love, love Brampton. And uh, certainly the books are mostly set there and you learn the history of Brampton from those books. But I'll tell you, my heart also warms when I hear from people all across Canada, people who are in, you know, Newfoundland or Saskatchewan and say, the stories that you're telling me about the life of your great aunt at the turn of the last century are the same stories that my grandmother told me about their life, you know, in these other parts Mm -hmm. of Canada. So really, I do think that these 
the stories are about life in small-town Canada in the early 1900s. Similar stories, but maybe not with the mysterious hook and the twists and turns. So I've only read the first novel. Um, That one is part of the Beneath the Alder series, The Innocent, focusing on 1907 to 1914. And I was quite drawn in and intrigued by the whole mysterious connection the family has to a church they're not allowed in. Right. And so I have to say, I was a little disappointed I didn't find out, but now I have to get the second and third novels in the series. (laughs) I always say, it takes the protagonist nearly three decades and the readers nearly three books to find the answer out to that mystery. Yes, exactly. So how did this whole series sort of come about? Yeah, so it all goes back to uh, my great aunt, Jessie. Jessie did not have children. My father was like a son to her and I was like a granddaughter to her. And when Jessie turned 100 years of age, Mm -hmm. I asked her if she would be willing to move from her senior's home in Toronto to a new home that was being built about 10 minutes from my home in Brampton. It was just too difficult for me to get into Toronto to see her. So when she said yes, I silently vowed I would visit her once a week for the remaining years of her life. Now, as I say, she was 100. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't think there'd be that many years, <laughs> but Jessie lived to be 108. And wow. the thing that she liked to do the best when I visited her every week was to uh, sit down and over a cup of tea, talk about life growing up in Brampton. So after listening to her stories for a little bit, I said, you know, Jessie, I should write these stories down. Hmm. Yes, Lynn, she said, you should. <laughs> and a little while later, I said, you know, Jessie, I should write a book about these stories. Yes, Lynn, she said. You should. And so <laughs> that's when this all began, which was a good 15 years ago. Okay. Now, I never told her that she would be the protagonist of my mm. story. She was very, very modest, and uh, she yeah. would not have uh, permitted me to do so. But she's not haunting me now. So <laughs> I'm thinking she's okay with it. Okay, good. And, and had you written anything before that? Uh, just contracts and yeah. uh, memos to clients. Okay. So just the legal stuff. Yes. So the voice that you've chosen with this girl that starts out at four, it took me a little while to adjust to it, but it's really written in the style that she would have been speaking, someone that, of that era. Yeah. That, that, that is right. I, you know, I hear her voice when I you know, write her words. Mm-hmm. And I did, I did, I had a lot of great aunts. And um, so, and, and I spent a lot of time with them as mm-hmm. a child and, you know, until, until their final days. And so I can still hear their voices and the words that they use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's just a certain way of uh, looking at the world too, that comes through mm-hmm. in the, in the text. Yeah. Um, did you find it difficult to maintain that throughout? I didn't. Um I, I I didn't. I think I'm just you know so so used to to hearing that voice. I, I did not have trouble doing that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so the characters that you've created, some of them I understand are fairly directly based on your relatives, right? And others are recognizable historical names, and then some are just purely fiction. That's right. That's right. So it's historical fiction. That's yeah. the nature of the book. So there are um, real life people you know, politicians, business people, people featured in the news. Those are real people, real facts. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the facts are facts that I got from Jesse, and I always tried to verify them. Like, it was really important to me that the things that are supposed to be true 
mm-hmm. are true. Yeah. Um, so, um, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you one example. Jesse, Jesse told me a story. Many times she told me this story about when she was about um, seven or eight years old and she came home and she saw this big yellow quarantine sign mm. on the front door of her house. Mm-hmm. And her aunt, who lived just down the road, was waiting for her and said, you can't go in there. Your parents are in quarantine and uh, for scarlet fever, you're going to have to live with us for four or five days. And this little girl, every day she walked to her own house. She stood on a milk carton and kissed her mother through the the pane glass window of the parlor, her mother on mm-hmm. the inside and her on the outside. And I love that story. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I really want to use it. Yeah. But I did a lot of research and I I couldn't find any evidence that there had been scarlet fever in oh. Brampton at that time. So I was bemoaning this to a friend of mine whose husband just happened to work at the Public Health Agency of Ontario. Mm -hmm. And a couple months later, he sends me this scholarly article. And it talked about how scarlet fever was, you know, virulent in Ontario in the late 1800s. But there were occasional outbreaks in the next century, including in Peel County around the time that Jesse was seven or eight. So, oh, I'm so happy that these people really did have scarlet fever so that I could (laughs) um, use this story. So, yeah, it was really important for me. Like the things that are supposed to be true, I did a lot of work to try to make sure they were true. Yeah. So you spent a lot of time reading Microfish? I did. I did. Yeah. I'm wearing glasses. Those of you listening can't see my glasses, but They're I can lovely, tell though. you. Well, thank you. And and the prescription is a little stronger because mm. of the incredible amount of time I spent reading really small, blurry print on uh, the uh, Brampton Library's microfilm reader. Yeah. When I was a journalist, that was what we used initially, too. I mean, that's going back a little while. Yeah. But the microfish, oh, man, drive you crazy yeah, trying yeah, to find things yeah, on that. Yeah. And, you know, those older papers, they haven't got them uh, online. You can get the Toronto Star, the Globe yeah. Mail. You can get all of those uh, going back uh, to the beginning of time online. But uh, I had to go to the library for these. Okay. We're going to stop right there and we'll go back and talk more about Brampton's history and this interesting historical fiction series with Lynn Golding. Stay tuned. I'm Dr. Shervin from Dairy Lane Dental and you're listening to Muskoka Magazine. Welcome back to Everything Bagels. I'm still Jenny Cressman, and I'm still chatting with the lovely Lynn Golding about her historical fiction series. It basically a love letter to Brampton, but also a love letter to her great aunt. And that's where everything started. But before we get back into the chat about the novels, let's just give out your website, Lynn, so people are able to find you. Please do. Lynn Golding author. Dot com. All one word. And if you could spell that, please. L Y N N E. G-O-L-D-I-N-G, author.com. Okay, and on that website, you'll find a whole lot of information, including some really interesting videos and some about your process of researching. And that actually, I think, was very intriguing, how much research you had to do. Now, I'm an author, too, and I... But I just make stuff up. <laughs> I, I'm just fiction. I mean, there. I mean, there are a few facts thrown in for good measure. But I don't have to worry as much about people looking over my shoulder and saying that date's not right. True. That's true. <laughs> and as I said, you know, getting the facts right was Im- important to me. And so, for the uh, second and third books in the series, I actually had a uh, professional researcher help me out. Ah. Yeah, and that was because um, my publisher wanted to get all three books out in fairly short order, and I knew I just would not have time to do. Uh, all the research, uh-huh. uh, as well as the writing and the time available. So um, Colleen Mahoney, um, a friend of mine and a, a former uh, librarian, uh, mm-hmm. did, a, did a lot of great research for me. Okay. Yeah, I think a librarian would be a very mm-hmm. good resource. And uh, one of the buildings I believe you talk about is a library. 
Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. The Carnegie Libraries play a big role uh, mm. uh, in the book, the, the Carnegie Library in Brampton. And, you know, we you talked about videos and I do a lot of posting and I get so much reaction when I post anything about a Carnegie Library because, of course, there are uh-huh. over 2,000 of them yeah. in North America. And so many people can relate to the old Carnegie Libraries in their yeah. communities. And they're all such... Uh, wonderful architectural structures. Right, right. And just so solidly built. And that I found very intriguing to hear about the different types of construction of the buildings there and and going into the detail and then seeing the video and seeing the stones that you were talking about. And what was the effect called that was dimpling? Oh, um, rustification. Yes. Yeah, I called it dimpling, but you know that when you see um, big chunks of um, stone and it's got that beveled look, it's yeah, rustification. Yeah. yeah. So, how many in total buildings are still standing in Brampton that are talked about in your novels? Do you? Know? Oh, um, at least a dozen, I would say. Certainly, yeah. there are a walking tours that you can take, and you can uh-huh. see all those those buildings. That, Is that a lot next of them are still on your there. To do list. <laughs> People keep saying you need to do yeah. a walking tour, so yeah. maybe we'll maybe we'll get to that. Yeah, well, that would be very fun. In the the first book that I just finished, The Innocent, um, the protagonist and her friend Jane do a bit of a walking right. tour in downtown Brampton and talk about the different buildings that her grandfather was involved in. And it would be fun to have you recreate that for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm doing some additional work right now, so. Um, Jesse's grandfather was a very well-known contractor in Brampton, and he built a number of those beautiful buildings that are still standing. So I'm really trying to do some more research on his life as well Ah. and uh, other things that he would have built and how they did it. You know, were Uh they on spec? Were they all paid for ahead of time? And um, the history of that, I think, is very interesting, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think that there's probably going to be a few more books coming out Mm -hmm. that might relate to Brampton (laughs) and other family members. You know, the truth is just so much more interesting sometimes than fiction. So I do get a lot of my inspiration from the sometimes crazy uh, things that happen in my family. Okay, well, I as a as a fiction writer, I have to say that fiction is a lot of fun. And yeah. you can base it on the truth, but then you don't have to worry about anybody saying, I didn't really do that. That's right. <laughs> but I have written a little bit of historical fiction myself, actually. But anyway... Um, with you, with your um, mixture of fact and fiction, could you break down the percentage of what are your great aunt stories versus <laughs> the percentage of other research that you had to do? Yeah, I have to say that would be be pretty hard. I can say that all the big themes in that book, um, all the storylines are all based on the truth. Um, I'll tell you, and you'll know what this is like, Jenny, as, as an author. At times, I myself couldn't remember what was fact and what was fiction. Right? <laughs> I had my, my um, final uh, draft before it went to the publisher is full of footnotes just saying, yeah, Jesse told me this here, or no, that is made up. Because, you know, you live, you know what yeah. it's like. You, you yeah. live with these characters. They become your life. Yeah. And certain people are like, hmm, did I make that up or was that true? So, yeah, yeah I, had to, I had to annotate it for that purpose. But um, I, I don't think I could really say for sure what the percentage was but I as mm-hmm. I say the big themes the the big storylines are based on 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 fact in that book now in the next book there is one family that is entirely fictional and okay. I should say at the back of the book I always do a little author's note telling you what's what's fact and what's fiction yeah yeah, yeah. The, it was very interesting to read all of that in the back too so tell us a little bit about the second and third one just give sure. us a little synopsis of what happens sure so uh, the first one ends in July of 1914 with the protagonist saying that 
the future is really looking quite bright. And then the second book starts on August 6th of 1914. There are ultimatums going on all across Europe. Uh The future is not bright. And that book takes place uh, all during World War I. And then the last book is called The Mending, and it starts in 1918 and goes to 1931. And so I think that these titles, The Innocent, The Beleaguered, and The Mending, really do describe the transformation in our society during Mm. that that period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, It's maybe a bit of a simplification, but... Um, there's a scene in The Innocent that you'll remember where um, these um, boys are at the train station. They are a lacrosse team, and they're going out to Vancouver to mm-hmm. vie for the Man Cup. And the coach says that this is the nicest group of guys he knows. They're all like between 18 and about 22. Not a single one of them smokes or swears. And there's no point talking about drinking because in Brampton, <laughs> nobody was drinking. Well, not not in a way that other people would know. So that's that's a pretty innocent time. So that yeah. is just like three months before the war starts. And then, of course, the next time these men are all at a train station is because they are leaving to mm. be enlisted. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, during the war, obviously a time where they are beleaguered. And then and then the mending. They're, they're back and there are people that want to go back to that innocent life that they had before the war. And that's just not possible. They really yeah. have to forge a new path. And so, um, you know, it's in a way the Downton Abbey story, right? Mm-hmm. Of the whole mm-hmm. change in our society because of yeah. that war. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and the, the women taking on different roles. Right. Because of the lack of men available and, exactly. and learning they could do it. Exactly. So why shouldn't they vote? Right, exactly, exactly. And this is it. You know, Jessie was, um, she actually had, I can't call her a spinster because she was married for 15 of the 108 years of her life. Mm -hmm. But she was always single from the time that I was old enough to to know her. Mm -hmm. And I had a number of great aunts. And of course, these were all women who um, would ordinarily have married in the early Mm -hmm. 1920s and had children, but there just were not enough men for them. And then there's the protagonist, Aunt, Je- Aunt Lil. Oh, Aunt Lil. Zany Aunt Jessie's Aunt Lil. Lil. She's, she's one of my favorite characters. Yeah. I, I, I didn't get enough of her in the first novel, <laughs> so I'm hoping there's more in the second. There's more of, there's more of Aunt Lil in the, in the next two. You know, you have to have one character that's kind of comedy relief. Mm-hmm. And I think real, in her real life, they did think that she was odd, that she kind of marched to a different drummer. In yeah. real life, she, she didn't marry, and this was way before the war, so you can't blame that on the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a teacher at uh, Bathurst Collegiate, but she also ran a boarding house mm-hmm. for male university students, and yes, only men. Only men. pretty avant-garde. Yeah. Yes, she didn't, didn't want to deal with, uh, deal with women. And There's a scene in the book um, where everyone in the family is together for a family photograph. It's the summer. Mm-hmm. Everybody's wearing you know, short sleeves or linen, and there's Aunt Lil, held head to toe in tweed and velvet. She just... Was a little she just zany. Wanted to wear that yeah. outfit. Mm-hmm. Dag nabbit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So is she one of your favorite characters? Yeah, she is. She is. Okay. It was, it was fun writing her. Yeah. Um, she was fun to write. And then in the third book, um, Jesse has has a boyfriend. His name is um, Henry. And I will say it was somewhat inspired by a Hugh Grant sort of character for him. Ooh. He's British. Okay. And so it was really fun writing his lines too, because he, he has a quick wit. So uh, that was fun to okay. write his lines too. Uh, Well, that is always a thing. You you feel like the characters are almost like children. You're not supposed to have favorites, but you kind of have, you know, (laughs) maybe one that is just, you know, 
nicer for some reason <laughs> yes. in your mind or soft. You keep more softly in your heart. But I'm sure with your sure. three children, you don't do that. Oh, They're no, all no. wonderful. Yes. <laughs> Although one of them did appear in your videos, Alexa. And oh, Alexa. Yes. She has a book as well related to this whole family that's, history. That's right. So in the third book, um, Jesse and her family take a trip to Europe. Uh, it's after the war. And uh, there was a, a lot of Canadians and Americans were traveling to Europe at that time, in part because post-war, the European economy was still so poor. And so you could you could go far with the North American dollar in, mm-hmm. in Europe. So there's a lot of travel. And um, Jessie had told me about this trip she took. Now, she was 23 when she took that trip. And oh. she told me about it when uh-huh. she was over 100. Uh-huh. And some interesting things happened. So they are featured in the book, The Mending. And uh, the book was all done. It was just about ready to go to my publisher when I came across in my basement Jessie's travel diary. I had completely forgotten. She huh. had actually kept a diary of that trip from when she was 23. Uh-huh. Um, it was written in pencil, every single line, one um, side of the page to the other. It was 100 pages. I thought, oh my goodness, how am I going to make my way through this? I've got this deadline for my publisher. Well, my daughter had just finished her first year of law school. She was at home because it was COVID. And I said, how would you like a job of just transcribing this for me? So she typed it up. And you know, it's hard, but you you get used to somebody's writing and then, then it becomes easier. So she made her way through the whole thing. And then she um, annotated it and edited and self-published it. And um, it's a great little read. It's an easy read because it's written by a 23-year-old. So Hmm. Alexa was 23 when she was reading what her Uh great-great-aunt was doing at the age of 23. And I can tell you that 23-year-olds 100 years ago are interested in pretty much the same thing as (laughs) 23-year-olds. It was dancing. It Uh was drinking. It was the boys. (laughs) And also the many, many sights um, that they saw on their European tour. So. Okay. Well, that is very interesting. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to watch for that too. And I look forward to getting into the second and third novels in your historic right. series, Beneath the Alders. So in just two minutes or less, no, even less than that, two, 30 seconds or less, where did the name come from? Uh-huh. So uh, the Etobicoke Creek features mm-hmm. very prominently in the book series. It runs through Brampton. It's the source of uh, a lot of frivolity and a bit of mayhem. And um, Etobicoke is a Mississaugan word for near the Black Alders. And so since my story is occurring near the Etobicoke, it is beneath the Alders. Wonderful. Watch for that. Beneath the Alders, you'll find it available in lots of places. If you go to the website, lynngoldingauthor.com, she'll tell you where to find it. Thank you very much for coming in again, Lynn. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thanks for tuning in to Everything Bagels, a show about anything and everything, airing every other Sunday on 887 The Bay. If you miss the show, don't worry. You can find podcasts of all my interviews on two websites, huntersbayradio.com and muskokaunlimited.com. I post links to the shows on Facebook, as well as photos of my guests. Look for the author Jenny Cressman page and follow me around. I'll try to keep you entertained. Everything Bagels with me, Jenny Cressman, will be back again in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Enjoy life. Enjoy bagels. Enjoy everything you can. Hasta luego.